Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teaching from God's Word. We hope you will be blessed by our sermon series, Difference Makers, Women Chosen by God. Learn with us about how often overlooked women make a difference in the world around them through the power of God. Find out more about this or any of our sermons at www.gracewaybc.org. Join us now as we dive into God's Word. I have been in so many places over the last number of months that I almost got jet lag from from changing planes and being in different states because I couldn't remember where I was. It's really good to be home. Let me tell you, don't get old. Because getting old, you actually do lose sight of who you are, where you're going, why you're there. It's, it's really kind of frightening. The last time I was here, this building was, this wasn't even finished yet. And uh, now it looks nice. Looks really good. Do you have your Bibles? If you would turn with me, I don't have a remote control. I'm assuming y'all are going to click this because I'm remoteless. Tech problems, we love it. Oh, okay, that'll work. Or I could, you know. Next slide. That's our beginning. You know, when I was young, you can click this through. When I was young, when I thought of hospitality, this is what I thought of. Can we get the... There it is. That was hospitality in the 50s and 60s. You, you know, when you traveled, there was always a Howard Johnson's. And let me tell you, Hojo had the motto, they were the host of the highways. They were on every turnpike. They, they owned the Jersey turnpike. They owned the Pensy turnpike. Uh, seeing that orange roof meant that uh, we would have a nice place to stay for the night and that uh, I could get clam strips, probably a fish fry, and definitely a good burger with at least one of the 28 flavors of ice cream afterward. It was, before there was McDonald's, there was Howard Johnson's. And I'll tell you, host and hosting is something that has is, is been very important in the American culture and the American dream. I'm assuming I push green? Okay. Maybe the other green. Okay, there we go. Now, you know, when we look at the Bible, and as we're going to see, and I know you've already done this in your growth group, so you're aware where we're going with this, hospitality is something that the Lord really gives us a lot of instruction about. For example, we're going to see Lydia here, but I'm going to show you some other places where hospitality was important, and, and we're going to see how crucial it is to God and, and for, his, uh, for his service. But we're going to begin, as we talk about Lydia, we've got to go back to the beginning, and I want you to see that there's a miraculous vision. Paul was on his second missionary journey, and if you remember, uh, and you've looked at the text at all and you read back, you'll remember that he, uh, he and Barnabas had finished their first journey, and they wanted to go back and start their second journey. But Paul and Barnabas had a little disagreement, and believe it or not, Christians do actually have disagreements. Paul, yeah, I know. It's hard to believe, isn't it? I mean, we're singing one in the Spirit, and Paul and Barnabas were not one in the Spirit. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, and John Mark had kind of failed Paul and Barnabas on the first trip, and so Barnabas wanted to take him again, and Paul was not very happy with this, and he was so unhappy they actually split. Barnabas took John Mark and did his thing, and Paul chose Silas, and they went out and began the second journey that we read about here in Acts. So it, this whole thing begins with a, with a little bit of a struggle. And then we see that while they're out, Paul 
is, is really, really struggling with what direction to go. He's praying and he's trying to go, he's trying to go north, south, and, and whatever happens, the Lord just withstands him and says, no, you can't go there. Finally, he sees a vision of a man calling him to Macedonia. And so his, this is the area where we're talking about that uh, his ministry actually was going to be called to. His Macedonian call was he saw a vision of a man who said, come to Macedonia. Macedonia is part of Greece. It was named after Philip of Macedonia. And this is the area where Alexander the Great had come from. And so that's the area that he's going to go to. So he got his Macedonian call in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. He leaves Troas in verse 11. And then verse 12, he comes to Philippi, named after Alexander's father, Philip the Great, a Roman colony. And there was no synagogue there, which meant there was no minion. And Paul always went to the Jewish people. He started with the known and went to the unknown. So he started to reach out to the Jewish people. But since there was no synagogue, they gathered by the river. They gathered by some water to pray. And it's interesting because his Macedonian man became a woman named Lydia. And we see that as we go through verse 13 and 14. Not only was there a... Uh, a miraculous vision. There was a divine appointment. In verse 14, take a look, Acts chapter 16, verse 14. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God, and the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So you notice, number one, the, the first picture I want you to just kind of focus on, this, this woman, Lydia, was a very smart, intelligent, gifted woman. She was a businesswoman from the city of Thyatira. This is the same city that is mentioned in the book of Revelation, one of the letters to the churches, to the church of Thyatira. There was her actual location where she was from, there on the map. She was a, a seller of purple. Thyatira was known for being able to produce this amazing purple dye, either through, through certain kind of snails or worms. It was really a gross process, but we don't want to go into that. The point is that the dye was really, really difficult to get, a very expensive process, which made the product very expensive. And she was a seller of this. She was probably in Philippi, probably selling some of her products and, and, and trying to line up. Look, there hasn't been a lot of change from, from the book of Acts to today. People are still out selling. They're trying to, to make a living. And she was obviously doing a good job with this through, uh, through this uh, process that she had with the purple fabric. And while she was there, she heard the apostle Paul. She heard his ministry. She was a God-fearer. Notice it says in the text, verse 14, that uh, she was from the city of Thyatira, and she worshipped God. She was not a Jewish convert. She was not Jewish. She was not a Christian. She was in that same position as Cornelius had been earlier in the book of Acts. She was a God-fearer. She was aware that there was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he was a very close, in a very close relationship with the nation of Israel, with the Jewish people. But she didn't understand all that was involved with worship him. She just wanted to be close. And so she kind of got as close as she could, just like Cornelius did, to worshiping the God of Israel, but not according to full knowledge. Well, when she heard Paul, when she heard Paul open up the word of God, when she heard Paul preach and shared Jesus crucified, risen, coming again. It says in the text, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, I'm assuming from this that, that she not only got saved, 
because she was baptized, that this also impacted and changed her entire household, her entire family. We see this numerous times in the scripture where, where an entire household would be changed because of the preaching of the word of God. So we see that, that she is, is, a, is a Gentile, she's a seller of purple, she has these amazing garments that she is, is, has produced and she's making available. She's from the area of Asia Minor in Turkey. She accepts the Lord, she's baptized, and her whole house with her. We would see in the text, beginning in verse 40, that after this experience, that there is a demonically possessed young woman that begins to follow the, the apostles as they minister. And, and Paul kind of rebukes that demon, and when that demon is rebuked, that girl loses her power because the demon leaves her. Well, those who were making money off of her were not pleased. Even though she, she was totally changed, her life was altered because of this, this event, this woman no longer could produce for them the way they wanted. And so they kind of started a ruckus, and, and Paul ended up in prison. And while they're in prison, they were beaten. And I'm sure their backs were just killing them. And it says, yet while they were in prison in chains, they began to praise the Lord. You know, that's always been an amazing thing to me. It's kind of like the sacrifice of praise. Sometimes it's, we have to praise the Lord even when it's not something that we really want to do or that's easy to do. We have to praise the Lord because God knows the end from the beginning, doesn't he? God is so much higher than us, so much bigger than us, and, and God knows what he's doing, and God makes no mistakes. Here, they were, they were beaten. They didn't deserve to be beaten, as we're going to see, because they found out that they were Roman citizens and they should not have been beaten. But they didn't say anything. They used it, and they continued to praise the Lord. You know, so many times when we face situations like this, we start complaining. We have a Yiddish word for it. It's called kvetch. And when you kvetch, you're just complaining. Nothing makes you happy, you know? We just sang, what a friend we have in Jesus. Is there trouble anywhere? The actual kvetchage would say, is there any place where there's not trouble? Because a kvetch just looks for trouble everywhere. Paul and his, his colleagues didn't see it that way. Despite their pain, despite the, the unfairness of the situation, they praised the Lord. You know what happened? The Philippian jailer got saved. And then the text ends with them being asked to leave, but before they leave, they stop off at Lydia's house. Lydia's house became their base of operation. She obviously was wealthy enough that she had a, a large enough area where they could stay, and she let them work out of, their, out of her home. She also started a church there, and the first church in Europe, the first church that, that, that had begun in that area, began in her house. So this was a real divine appointment that God had as he met this, this wonderful woman who had an amazing, not only ministry and job, but she had a gift, and that gift was hospitality as she opened up her, not only her life to the Lord, but her home and, and her servants and, and allowed the church of God to begin there. We want to go back and look at that because that courageous offer was something that was very special. Lydia, the text says, begged Paul to stay. She begged him. She didn't want him to leave. She didn't want him to depart. You know, despite the fact that, that he was beaten, that he was identified as a problem, despite the fact that the people wanted him out of their region, she said, no, I want you to stay. 
Please stay. Obviously, God had changed her life, done something miraculous so that she saw beyond what the people in the neighborhood or the city saw, and she begged him to stay. She opened her heart and home to the missionaries for the Lord's work. She opened up to let them lodge there, to work there, and ultimately plant that, that church there. She had no fear of the possible repercussions that could come from, from the area. She wasn't worried. You know, sometimes we may be in a situation where we'd like to give a witness for the Lord, but we're afraid. What if somebody hears me? What if somebody doesn't like me? What if I'm in, get in trouble and somebody wants to, to beat me up or, or hurt me or hit me? You know, we're in a day and age where Christianity is not popular, folks. We're on the decline and Islam and secular humanism and, and, and total concern about everything other than anybody else is totally on the rise. She, she counted the cost. She wasn't worried. Her only concern was that she be involved in helping with the expanse of this ministry. She had a gift of hospitality. And she also had a gift of courage. You know, sometimes we lose sight of that when we look at these situations. These Bible people, they're not characters. This isn't a story. This is, she was an actual living, breathing person. And this is an actual account. This isn't a Bible story. This is a Bible reality. And she counted the cost. She was not only hospitable and was willing to use that gift, she was, she was very courageous because it's kind of like you and me against the world. You know, that's kind of where we are today, folks, as believers. It's kind of us against them. And it isn't, it isn't easy, is it? It isn't easy to be a believer in the workforce. It isn't easy to be a believer in public school. It isn't easy to be a believer in Hollywood or in the sports world or, or in business. It isn't easy. But you see, those who name the name of Christ, we have to count the cost and we have to stand firmly rooted on the Word of God. You know, as a missionary, it isn't easy to, to represent Jesus Christ in a world that's totally hostile to everything I stand for. People don't want to hear it. People don't want to be exposed to it. And yet there's always a remnant. While I was doing all my traveling from September 18th until uh, really just, just this week, while we've been doing all this traveling and flying and all the, the things, the Lord opened up so many opportunities to make Christ known on airplanes and in stores. And just the other day, I was waiting. I, we have, I like Starbucks. You, you know that. I've made that clear before. Uh, greatest gift you can give Tom is a Starbucks card with lots of zeros on it because that kind of gets consumed like real fast. Um, America may run on Duncan, but I run on Starbucks. And um, I was at my Starbucks, which is like, the human rain delay of Starbucks. You can place an order and they'll tell you it's going to be ready in 10 minutes and, and 20 minutes later you're still waiting for your coffee to come. Um, and while I was standing there waiting for this order, this gentleman just pulled me aside and started talking to me. I loved it. It's like, take your time. We'll, we'll get the coffee. It's okay. I really enjoyed talking to this gentleman. I got his card. We're going to get together again and we'll sit at that Starbucks and we'll have a chance to not only wait for the coffee but we can talk together and hopefully get an opportunity to talk to them about the Lord. You see, open doors are something that's very important. And, and Lydia saw an open door, and she was courageous enough to step through it. Dear ones, there are times when the Lord places before us an open door. Maybe it's as a church. Maybe it's in a ministry. 
Maybe it's individually. Let me encourage you to be brave enough to trust in the Lord to step through that door. Now we have to talk about what is hospitality? In Abraham's day, a person's reputation was directly linked to their hospitality. I mean, your reputation in the world was linked directly to your being a hospitable person. And we're talking the Middle East here. This was not an easy area. This was a very difficult area. And, and, and to open up your home was, was something that was really deeply appreciated. For a Christian, hospitality differs from social entertaining. It's not about what's best for us, but what's needed by others. You see, when we entertain somebody, we get everything set, the house is clean, the dishes are washed, the food is prepared, and then we invite people to come over to see us at our best. You see, hospitality is you have no food, you have no bed, you have no clean sheets, and somebody needs you, and you open up your house and have them come. This isn't like, well, I've got time to prepare, and I'll get the guest room ready. Somebody needs it now, and all we've got is a couch, but we're willing to open it. All I've got is a can of soup, but if you need it, what's mine is yours. You see, sometimes in this day and age, we look at, at hospitality kind of as entertaining, and that, that's, that's important. It's nice to entertain, but folks, when we talk about hospitality, we're talking about there is a need, and we can fill it even though we have nothing really prepared, nothing ready. There is no fatted calf. There is no turkey in the oven. I've got a can of cream of mushroom soup and a paper bowl and a plastic spoon, but you're welcome to it because you need it. That's what Christian hospitality is. Now, in the Middle East, in the Middle East, we would see that the idea of hospitality would involve, number one, bowing. As you have your scriptures, turn with me to Genesis 18. Genesis 18. We're not going to be here long. But I want to show you. Genesis 18, Abraham is, is confronted with three gentlemen who we find out are actually angels, one of which is the angel of the Lord, pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. It says, verse 1, Then the Lord appeared to him, Abraham, by the terebinth tree of memory, and he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted up his eyes and looked, verse 2, and behold, three men were standing by him, and when he saw them, it says, he ran from where? From the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. In the Middle East, the first thing that a person does, if they're being hospitable, if they see guests, they bow themselves to the ground. Number two, there would be a traditional greeting, which in Israel is Shalom Aleichem. Peace be to you. The response is Aleichem Shalom, and to you, peace. Luke 7, Jesus reminds us that when he came into the, uh, into the home of the religious leader, he said, you gave me no kiss, but remember the woman that was anointing his feet. He said, she has not ceased kissing my feet from the moment I came. There was also a kiss that would have been given, a sign of affection and respect. A drink of water would be given. They're in the plains, outside, in the heat of the day. They would give them a drink of water. The guest is made lord of the house. The guest is actually treated higher than the people who actually live there. 
And finally, safety is provided. In Genesis 19, one chapter over, those gentlemen came to Abram because they were, two of them were going to go on to Sodom and Gomorrah, and those two cities were going to be destroyed. And the one that remained was the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, and, and he ends up talking with Abraham and tell him what he's going to do. But in Genesis 19, beginning in look at verse 8, You'll remember the two angels went on to Sodom and Gomorrah and they were going to sleep in the street. The fact is, they were compelled to come in because he wanted them protected. And you remember that when the men of Sodom began to beat on the door and they wanted those two men to come out. This is totally foreign to us, but Lot offered his daughters to protect the guests that had come into his home. In the Middle East, when a guest comes into your home, you do whatever it takes to protect them. That's part of hospitality. Now, I have up here some, uh, some verses. The Bible really encourages hospitality. Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19. In Leviticus 19, the, uh, Moses writes to us um, in Leviticus 24. Let's get to 19. Leviticus 19 and verse 34, the scripture says, But the stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. The Jewish people are told that if a stranger comes in among you, you are to treat him as if he's part of you, if he's part of your family, if, if he is not only part of your personal family, but part of the nation of Israel. You should look after him. Isaiah 58, 7, another reference. Isaiah 58, 7 talks about hospitality. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. God is saying when you see the hungry, you should feed them. When you see those that are, that are in need, you should reach out to them. That's hospitality. One time I was, in, um, I was ministering with Friends of Israel on the boardwalk in Atlantic City. And there was a gentleman who, uh, who came up, and he was asking for money for a handout. Now, my policy is never to just hand out money arbitrarily, but I will buy something if they have a need. So he said he wanted food. I said, fine. We're right across from, from Burger King here. You pick out whatever you want. I don't care what it costs. I will buy it for you. I'm not giving you the money, but I'll buy you whatever you want. I was privileged to be able to buy that man a couple of Whoppers. He got some fries. He got some stuff. I think he had enough to at least last a few moments. But I was glad to do that. Same thing happened in New York when I was in the train station. I will buy you whatever you need. I don't just arbitrarily hand out the Lord's money. But if you have a need, I've got some money. I'm willing to invest it in you because you have a need. You see, that's what the Bible indicates that we should do. 2 Kings chapter 4. I know we're hopping around. I apologize. They weren't all in the same place. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 16, is the account of the Shunammite woman that actually made a prophet's chamber 
for the, the, the man of God that came and stayed with her. She literally created a place for him so that whenever he came into the area, he had a place to stay. A lot of people have offered up hospitality to us and to other missionaries and other colleagues and, and even to, to people that have need. That's what the Bible would have us to do. The New Testament picks up on this as well. The one I want to focus on, though, is the one on the end. You can, you can look up the others. I want to focus on the last one because, A, our time is getting away, and, B, I want to be able to, to really share with you how important hospitality is. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me one last time to the book of Matthew in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 34. I want you to see how important hospitality is going to be in the future. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my fathers, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. And I was thirsty, and you gave me to drink. And I was a stranger, and you took me in. And I was naked, and you clothed me. And I was sick, and you visited me. And I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous, verse 37, will say to him, Lord, when were you hungry, and we fed you, or thirsty, and we gave you drink? When did you, we see you, a stranger, and take you in, or naked, and, and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick, or in prison, and come to you? Verse 40, and the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did this to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. The time frame here, folks, that Jesus is referring to is the tribulation period. That period of seven years of unprecedented horror that will fall on the face of the earth. After the rapture of the church, we will have a planet that you would not recognize as everything just is totally out of whack. But one thing that's not out of whack is the fact that God is going to place a high priority on hospitality in that day. The people that he's saying, you saw me naked and you clothed me, or you saw me thirsty and you gave me to drink, that's the Jewish people. The Jewish people who are being hated and hounded and hunted by Antichrist, trying to exterminate every one of them from the face of the earth. It's also going to be those that accept Christ. You see, after the rapture, there's not going to be one believer left in the world. Have you ever thought about that? When the rapture of the church comes, there's not one believer left, and God's going to start the whole process over again. People are going to get saved. Well, let me tell you, there's two things that Satan hates just as equal as he hates God, and that's the Jewish people, and that's the church of Jesus Christ, believers. He's not very fond of the ground upon which we walk. And he'll do everything in his power to thwart us, be it electronic or whatever. Satan wants to stop the worship of the Lord. He wants to stop the church from its ministry. Well, in that day, there won't be a church, but there will be believers. And Satan is going to try to hunt them down. And Satan's going to do everything with his power to try to eradicate the face of the earth of Jewish people and of believers. You know why? Because number one, if he can get rid of the Jewish people, he beats God. 
because Satan's goal all the way back when he led Adam and Eve into sin was, I want to be like the most high God. I want to be worshipped as God. And from that point on, there's been a cosmic conflict between God and Satan. And God promises in Jeremiah 31 that Israel will survive. He also hates Christians because, you see, we're the one that has the, 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 the blessed gift from the Lord of preaching and teaching the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if he can take us out, if he can diminish our, our, our ministry and influence, if he could get us discouraged or, or destroyed or taken out, yeah, you won't lose your salvation, but you're also not reaching anybody else. And you know why we're here? We're here to communicate the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to those who are lost. And that's the only reason why we're here. We're not here to get rich. We're not here to be happy. We're not here to just feel good about ourselves. We're here to communicate the gospel. That's why this church exists. And after the rapture, those people who get saved will have a ministry of communicating and changing lives, both Jewish and Gentile, during a tribulation period. The Lord's going to say, well, you saw me in, 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 in prison and you visited me. You, you saw me hungry and you fed me. You saw me naked and you clothed me. You gave me a drink of water. When did we do that? If you've done this unto the least of these, my brethren, those who are mine, you've done it to me. Do you realize, as the world becomes more hostile to Christianity, and those who name the name of Jesus, hospitality will require tremendous courage. I don't think we're that far removed. And to stand for the Lord, to stand and protect his servants will take tremendous courage. Think back to the Holocaust and those people that harbored Jewish people from destruction of the Nazis. Well, that was on a scale throughout Europe. The scale the next time is going to be throughout the world. And you see, as we take in those opportunities to minister, we open up our home, we expose ourselves and our families, as Lydia did, to intense problems but we also need to protect those whom the world and the powers that be consider to be dangerous or hostiles. Because if you've done this unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. We might not think that Lydia's hospitality was a really big deal. Obviously, it's a huge deal of the Lord because it's going to play very prominently at the end of this dispensation and into the next one. Because those people that are called the righteous here, they will go into the kingdom because of the kindness and hospitality that they extended during that seven-year period. Let me tell you, if it's important, then it's important today. And I think the Lord would have us to be a church that's known not only by our love, but by our hospitality. Amen? Let me encourage you, it's a tremendous way to begin to meet people. You know, you open up your home, you sit down and have a meal with somebody, and you'd be amazed how many opportunities will happen as you split a sandwich with someone or you take them out to eat or just go get a cup of coffee. People relax. They put their feet under the table next to you, and you have an open door to be able to begin to share with them the gospel and show them just how much God loves them because you're demonstrating your love for them as well.
Yeah, they'll know we're Christians by our love. They'll also know we're Christians by our hospitality. Father, I thank you so much for today and the privilege of being back home. I thank you for Raceway. Thank you for each member and friend that's here. I thank you for allowing us to, to be a part of this in a small way. I know I haven't been around a lot, but they, uh, they pray for us. They support us. They encourage us to go out and do what it is that you've called us to do. I'm so thankful for that, Lord. And I just pray, Father, that uh, today, that as we've looked at your word, that we've seen not only Lydia, but that we can be able to apply it to our lives and show that, Father, it's so important. It's so important that we be hospitable because the day is going to come when it may cost us, when it may cost us big time to just reach out and offer someone a place to stay, a meal, where we hide them as the ten booms hid Jewish people, as others tried to hide Jewish people in the, in, the, in the Holocaust. Father, use us and encourage us so that we'll step out and do the things that count for eternity. We love you, Lord, and thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.